Hi. Right this way. So, what's the plan? I wish my hair would do that. But we all want what we don't have. I guess we all want what we don't have. turns you into such a narcissist. Yeah. I am actually nervous. Yeah. It's gonna be great. I love you. Tell me about you, Claire. I do hair. You get to go in and out of people's lives. You hear stories. The hairstylist. She's creepy. Doesn't look naturally know her. You give life advice. Almost like having a family. Are you okay? Stupid! Ah! What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. I'm Mike. Joining me, as always, it's Mr. Venom. How are you doing? Greetings and salutations, fashionistas. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good, Mike. How you doing? Pretty good. We just recently got our tax return back, and the stimulus should be on the way. So I'm in the market for some purchases coming up. So feeling good, very good mood. <laughs> uh, also joining us, as always, it's Don and Ellie. How's it going, Don? Hey, what's going on, everyone? <laughs> yeah, uh, great to be here. Always a fun time. <laughs> All right, well, we are talking the new movie, The Stylist, and IMDb. I think we said last time at the end of our show that we would be doing this, so it shouldn't be Mm -hmm. much of a surprise. Let's see our IMDb synopsis. A lonely hairstylist becomes obsessed with the lives of her clients and descends into murderous madness. Um. Normally, I would say a little bit spoiler, but considering we get a cold opening, um, I would say that it's okay for this one. Mm -hmm. But uh, with that said, let's get into general thoughts first, as usual. Venom, what did you think of the stylist? Uh, Well, first, I did want to mention that this movie is based on the short film by the same title from 2016, uh, done by the same director, even starring uh, the same uh, antagonist, Nahara Townsend. Um, and that was only about a 15-minute short. It's, basically, it was the equivalent of the cold open for this movie. But what I really like, what I like about how they did this is that the short film is actually a little bit of a prequel to the feature film. Um, I'll be able to talk more detail about that during the spoiler section, but... She um are the stylist references someone in the feature film that's not in the feature film. And if you watch the short, the short actually sets up that character. 
um, so, which is kind of cool. I just I had never seen that done before, where the short is kind of like a prequel to the feature. But yeah, um, like I said, from 2016, uh, same basic filmmaker, same star. Even Pepper the dog appears in both the short and the feature film. Um, so to the feature film, uh, yeah, I really like this movie. This this was this was definitely a little bit of a journey, you know, um, going on this path with Claire, our titular stylist. And, you know, just watching her descent in the madness uh, was very entertaining. I will say that, I mean, the movie is brilliantly made. It really is. Cinematography, awesome. The score is stellar. I love this score. Every time I notice the score, it absolutely enhanced the scene. So, yeah, great score. Performances, great performances. I don't think there's a bad performance in this movie. Great acting. I have two major, major issues with the movie that keep me from calling it a near-perfect film. Uh, the first would be the lack of backstory for our stylist. Now, this contradicts what I said last week when we talked about uh, The Dead of Night, where I said I was okay with the ambiguity of those killers. Now, the major difference between these two films is that with The Dead of Night, we're following the protagonists. We're following potential victims. With The Stylist, we are following the antagonist. We're following the killer, you know, much like The House That Jack Built or various movies like that. So when you do that, when you do a, uh, when you make an hour and 45 minute long film where we follow the antagonist, I personally would like to see a little bit more backstory than we get here. Because I, I spent about an hour and a half of the hour and 45 minutes of this film just questioning why. Why are you doing this? What, what drove you to this? What is your motivation? We obviously, we know what her end goal is, you know, from watching the first two scenes of the film. Um, but I, I was, I was so curious about her motivation because there's so much about her that doesn't make sense. Uh, Claire is an attractive girl, a young girl, um, very, uh, very much a fashionista. She's always dressed to the nines, at least for work anyway. Um, she's successful. She works at what looks like an upscale hair salon not one of those cheap looking neighborhood ones but you know one of those ones that you know women with money would go to to get their hair done and their you know makeup and things like that so like i said this girl is young attractive successful I and mean, she's a sought after hairdresser yet for some reason she wants to live vicariously through other people that come into her salon. Obviously, we'll be able to get into more details with that in the spoiler section, but I was constantly questioning, what is wrong with your own life? She's literally living a dream life um, that a lot of women who are in beauty school, well, men and women who are in beauty school, wish they had. She was a homeowner. She had her own house. I mean, you know, everything about her outwardly Looks like she is a normal, successful person. But then obviously under the skin, no pun intended, there's way more going on with uh, Claire that isn't always explained. We just kind of have to accept that she had some kind of trauma in her younger years, which has led her to what she's doing now. So um, that was my one major problem with it was the lack of backstory and character development for our antagonist. The other major problem I have 
is the ending of this movie. Um, I, I, I want to make it very clear. It's not that I don't like the ending. I actually really enjoyed it. My problem is that it's telegraphed way too early. If you're really watching this movie and paying attention to it, you pretty much know the ending a, a good 10 to 15 minutes before it happens. Like I literally, at, before Claire even got to the church, I called out the ending. And that's disappointing because then it makes the final scene drag a little bit because it's like, okay, I know what's coming. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. That's nothing necessarily against the filmmakers and how the film was made. I just wish they weren't heavy handed with the ending, with what, with the quote unquote shocking ending that we get. And it is for some, you know, especially for younger horror viewers, it is a shocking ending. It, it's going to be something that maybe a lot of people aren't anticipating. But if you're a seasoned horror fan, like, you know, the three of us here, it kind of, I, I don't know about uh, my two co-hosts, I'm sure they'll address it. But for me, I saw the ending coming a good 10 to 15 minutes before it happened, which made that whole final scene just feel like it was dragging. So, as I said, this is a great film. I can't recommend it enough. It's a movie that's near flawless, but those two major problems are going to be my biggest sticking points that keep this movie from the top the top spot of my end of year list. This movie is solidly in my top three for 2021 right now. It is it's a stellar film, but like I said, for my personal um, enjoyment, I wish we would have gotten a little bit more backstory because I found myself getting frustrated with the character on top of the fact that her MO didn't always stay the same, which again, I can't really get into much details here, but it's like the MO that she establishes early in the first murder. She kind of just uh, abandons for all the rest of them, which changes the way that I looked at her as an antagonist. So um, just to kind of cut it off here, I'm going to say great movie. One of the best of the year, but I had some storytelling issues with it. Okay, uh, let's go over to Don. What are your general thoughts on the stylist? Um, I'm pretty much right there with Venom um, in stark contrast to my previous three weeks of being the only <laughs> negative one on there. Yeah, um, I mean, I told you guys this last week, but uh, for those that weren't aware, yeah, this um, is my number one movie of the year. Um more so actually just in a sense of not having gotten to everything more than anything else. But um, that's no disqualifier on the film itself. Like Venom said, there's so much to enjoy here. Um, I, I really enjoy the fact that it's, like he said, a character study. And one that takes itself really, really deeply into a person that I actually really enjoy being around. I like the way that she interacts with her with her friends, with the new group that she gets accustomed to it's it, it all builds to you know the ending that like venom said I'm, i i actually have a different issue with it uh, it's uh, somewhat similar to what he pointed out but there uh, i have a different issue with it than he did uh but by and large um i really like this one just fast enough for me to stay interested uh Really fun, uh, builds a lot off of the short, which I'm a huge fan of as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, overall, I, I don't have as much issue with it. Um, I have a similar issue with the ending, but it's just a different take on it. But 
yeah, overall, still my number one of the year, just based on the lack of content I have gotten to rather than anything else in the year. But uh, still, overall, I would say a solid contender for my top ten. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then that comes to me, and I'm going to say I also really, really like this movie. Um, I agree. It's kind of a character study on the human condition. There's a couple movies that it reminds me of, but I don't I don't want to say now only because I don't want to give too much away um, about the movie. Um, I, I agree. I agree with Venom. I felt the ending was kind of telegraphed, and part of it is because of one of the movies that it reminded me so much of as far as the relationship between two of the main characters. It it kind of harkened me back to the movie, which I'll bring up during spoilers. Um, I also, th- yeah, I, I do think the, yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, yeah, that ending... I almost want to say, like, once you learn about the main character and then you see this friendship she has, I almost, right then and there, I'm like, okay. I didn't necessarily predict the ending, but I was like, there's going to be a conflict probably at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, I would say the... Obviously, the main character has mental problems and issues and delusions. Um, but I will say like the stunt she pulled at the end of the movie was just like, wow, that delusion must've really taken over you. If you like expected <laughs> that, like this was going to work. Cause previous to that, even though she was doing a similar thing to other people, it was kind of more self-contained in her own world where she kind of knew she would almost kind of like snap out of it, you know? So I guess they're just saying that like, in this case, she was so obsessed and so um, into the other person's life and stuff that she couldn't separate the, the, the delusion from like a parallel reality, maybe. So I can, I can go with that. Um, but overall, I really like the characters in this. I love the score. Like Venom mentioned, um, I would say maybe, you know, five, ten minutes could have been trimmed off just because we get, like, you know, a lot of kind of, like, long shots with, like, music or the score just Mm -hmm. playing where if they wanted to trim it to make it more of, like, a 90, because I think it's about an hour and 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. could have been a 90-minute movie, but that's not really a big complaint. Like, I still enjoyed the cinematography. Like I said, when you get a good score like this, it, it really helps with those kind of, like, long tracking shots where not mm-hmm. a ton is going on for that scene if if you're giving me something good to listen to and it looks real pretty i'm good with it so i'm kind of you know maybe this is the movie that all three of us are not going to have much disagreement on little gripes but overall mm-hmm. enjoyable one of my tops of the year so far yeah yeah and i mean there's so much that i didn't talk about in the general thoughts i mean we've got great kills in this movie um it's fairly obvious how she kills her people, if her her uh, victims. If you see the movie poster, I'm still, since it's not mentioned in the synopsis, I'm not going to mention it here. But um, you could definitely tell that they got a, a a decent budget for the feature as opposed to the short, because the murder in the short doesn't look nearly as good as any of the murders in the feature. And like I said, the opening, the cold open of the feature is 
almost a carbon copy of the short film, just with a different client. Um, so it's definitely good to see that these filmmakers, um, you know, improved from the short to the feature. Um, this is the writer and director's first uh, feature length film. Uh, the name is Jill Gavar Gavargesian, something, Gavargesian, something along those lines. Um, she has done a lot of shorts. Um, I think the most popular thing she did was the short for the stylist, which appeared in a, uh, a what do you call it, an anthology film before it was released on its own. So, mm -hmm. I mean, a lot, a lot of people are familiar with that. And the director has written and directed a lot of segments uh, for anthologies and just a lot of shorts as well. So for a feature length debut, you know, not quite a true directorial debut, but still for feature length. Very good job here. Great kills. We've already talked about the score, the cinematography, the use of light and shadow in some of the scenes are great, especially the murder scenes where the lighting and the color of the lighting will actually start to change. You know, obviously giving people, you know, thoughts of Suspiria or, or Knife Plus Heart. Um, but yeah, you know, just really good use of the colored lighting along with the score. I mean, like I said, the actual horror scenes in this movie are stellar. I think the kills are great. Um, like I said, I just wish I knew more about her. Um, if you're going to make me follow an antagonist for an hour and 45 minutes, and she is basically in every single scene, so we are following her, you got to give me more. You really do. Because it just doesn't make sense that this woman who looks like she should be, you know, uh, a pillar of the community is somehow a psychopath. Obviously something happened to her. And I know that the director probably just wants us to accept that she's crazy. Just accept that she's insane and that nothing she does makes sense. But it's like, no, this movie is too good for that. I mean, this movie, you know, really is a form of art house cinema. I mean, when you watch the cinematography, the lighting, the score, this is a, an elevated horror movie if I've ever seen one. But it leaves so much out of the story that it just leaves me wanting more by the end of the movie, which is, you know, not the worst thing ever to be left wanting more, but to be left wanting more story and more and backstory, especially, you know, it just, it left me just scratching my head. Just, you know, why is this woman the way she is? But like I said, we just have to accept, accept she's insane. So there it is. Um, that's, like I said, really one of the, you know, besides the ending, the only major issue I had with the movie was that. And that alone, would if I were to rate this, it would get a very high rating. I mean, I'm not going to take away that much from it because it doesn't necessarily kill the enjoyment of the film. Um, for my personal experience watching it the first time, I was just kind of frustrated, like, you know, and, and then we get a scene where the stylist and one of her clients start talking about their past and their family. And I'm like, oh, OK, cool. Here it is. And we literally get like maybe two lines about uh, Claire's past. Uh, and they're both about her parents. And I'm not even 100 percent sure she's telling the truth in that scene, which we'll get into in the walkthrough. But um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, I know I've said it like six times already, but it just. I hate walking away from a movie that's so beautifully put together with storyline issues. You know, it's such a trivial thing to be upset with, but 
That's just the way, the kind of movie viewer I am. If you're, if you're going to make me follow the antagonist, they have to have some kind of charm, some kind of charisma. I mean, Claire is not Patrick Bateman by any stretch of the imagination. And even though this movie I would put above American Psycho, um, I felt more engaged with Patrick Bateman because of just, you know, the, the entertaining portrayal by Christian Bale and, you know, a, a lot of the story points, the whole thing with the business cards and everything else. So, you know, they didn't really give us a lot of that here. A lot of like, like we didn't get any internal do, uh, monologue, any kind of internal dialogue. That would have been great to hear her thoughts more often. I think we did get a couple here and there, but I, I would have liked to have almost, almost like she's narrating her own story. Because then maybe I would have gotten a little bit more out of the story. Even though I'm usually a person that rallies against exposition, I just feel like in this particular instance, a little more exposition would have helped. And Mike is correct. I mean, there's scenes in here that I'm not going to go so far as to call them throwaway scenes, but there's scenes that I'm not even going to talk about in the walkthrough because they mean so little to the ultimate plot. We probably could have lost one or two of those scenes and added a little bit more um, exposition, and I probably would be sitting here calling this a 10 out of 10. Unfortunately, I can't say that it's a perfect film because of the minor issues that I had with it. It's still an awesome movie, though. I mean, don't let my issues with it deter any, you know, any of you from watching this film. This, this is a movie that needs to be watched. Um, I feel like it does a lot of really cool things. And I'm also a really big fan of the murder style of our killer in this movie. It's not something that we really see a lot of in cinema. We'll see it periodically here and there, but not done as well as it is in this movie and as painful as it looks in this movie. So, yeah, again, I, I didn't like I said, I didn't get to talk about the great kills. Um, I didn't get to talk about Brie Grant. This is probably Brie Grant's best role. Uh, she plays Olivia, uh, the client of uh, the, of Claire throughout the film. I, I thought this was, like I said, one of her most down-to-earth and organic performances that I've ever seen of her. Not to say that I've seen every movie she's been in by any stretch, but I do recognize her from stuff like Dexter, um, last year's 12-hour shift, which she actually wrote and directed, and then, you know, um, a ghost story, the, the Casey Affleck uh, movie, she was in that. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we recognize her from a few genre films, which is great. Uh, it's great to see a recognizable face in these independent uh, features. And like I said, in my opinion, the best I've seen Brie Grant act. Um, as far as yeah, Mahara she, Townsend. She's, she's oh. been busy because she has Lucky sitting on Shutter right now, too. Exactly. Yeah. And she wasn't in 12 Hour Shift, right? She just wrote it and directed it, if I remember. I don't remember. Yeah, because I think that, that's, um, I think that's the girl from May. That's the lead. Yes. Unless she has yep. a brief, yeah, because th unless she has a brief part, I don't remember her. Yeah, she's the girlfriend right. in, what is it, After Midnight? Is that that's right, movie? After Midnight. Forgot all about yeah. that. Yep, last year, or two years ago, depending on what country you're in. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I can't talk enough about the performances. They're all really, really well put together. Like I said, I can't say enough good things about this movie. Just those two points that I brought up are the sticking points keeping me from giving this a 10. But otherwise, awesome film. Highly recommend. Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, I don't have much to add for general thoughts, at least. But I would say once this hits... Go out and watch it. 
it's highly recommended. Like I said, we're we're only about halfway into March for the year, but still, I mean, we're starting to a massive collection of watches. So to say, you know, it's, it's one of the tops right now for me. Yeah, it's definitely better than saying that in January. At least it's March. You know, we're what a quarter of the way, almost a quarter of the way through the year. So it starts actually carrying weight to say something is my favorite movie of the year, whatever. So, and I will be, and let me be the first one to say, Don, I am actually very surprised that you like a character study this much. I I famously remember you saying that you didn't always enjoy movies like that. This is years ago on the horror mafia, but yeah, I do remember you saying you weren't usually a fan of these types of films. So very nice. Like I said, it's got just enough for me to stay interested in it. So nice. Very cool. Yeah. All right, folks, what do you say? Want to jump into our fairly short walkthrough? Like I said, Mike, Mike mentioned how this movie has a lot of long shots, so it really makes for a fairly short walkthrough. It shouldn't take too terribly long today. Uh, anything else uh, you guys want to say before I jump in? Um, I'll, my big thing is probably going to be the ending, so I'll probably chime in then. Cool. Yeah, I'm I'm good to go. All right, let's jump into the stylus. Twenty officially twenty twenty as it made its uh, debut in Europe last year, but uh, March first, twenty twenty one for the U.S. So in our opening scene, we meet Claire, uh, a very attractive redhead, young, obviously very fashionable. She's well dressed, and she is, of course, a, a hairdresser or stylist, if you will. Um, at what looks like a fairly upscale, you know, salon. It, like I like I said earlier, it doesn't look like one of those cheap neighborhood salons where you can get an $8 haircut. It looks like definitely one of the more upscale ones. So um, it's the end of the night, and uh, her client walks in right before closing time. She goes ahead and takes care of her. While she's doing her hair, she learns that this woman is from out of town and that she's probably not the most faithful woman to her husband. She talks about how much she travels, but then it's determined in the conversation that she has a job, uh, I believe it was a graphic designer, that really doesn't need to travel. So as it turns out, the woman kind of voluntarily travels to get away from her husband and child back at home. You know, she talks about how much she does care about them, but that she needs her space and likes to travel for whatever it's worth. That seems to kind of entice Claire. Um, after the after the client sits in the chair, Claire offers the client a glass of wine, which she accepts. And then they go to basically a slow motion montage. And it's not the only one. I think there's two specifically in the film. Slow motion montages of just Claire doing someone's hair. Nothing nefarious is happening. You know, she's just literally taking care of this woman's hair. But then out of nowhere, uh, the woman drops the wine glass and passes out right there in the chair. Um, without even changing expression or anything, Claire basically goes into killer mode. She goes in the back, she grabs a bucket and mop before she even makes the first cut. She knows that she's about to make a mess in her place of business. Um, this first, I, earlier when I was talking about the inconsistencies with her MO, this is part of what I'm talking about. With this first murder, she actually comes off as like a Dexter Morgan type for those who watch Dexter on Showtime. Not that he's a killer of killers, but that he's very meticulous 
with his uh, kill mm-hmm. scenes. You know, he, yep. he cleans up really well. He prepares for everything. Granted, she wasn't, you know, she wasn't at the level of Dexter where she was laying plastic on the floor or anything like that. But the fact that she's so meticulous and throughout the film, we see how anal retentive Claire is, um, you know, uh, with her clothes, with her makeup, with her hair, everything. So, yeah, it's um, it's mm-hmm. interesting you bring that up because so I forgot I forgot if you mentioned that this is a cold opening before the title sequence, but mm-hmm. um, at, at, after this scene and when like the stylus flashes up on the screen, I had actually like wondered to myself if they just laid out literally what was going on or if this was like part of a delusion they're trying to tell us she has in her head just sure. after this one scene, because I felt like it could be either way. Cause I uh, obviously the fact of what she's doing, not just the fact that she's murdering someone, but what she's doing where it appears in the mm-hmm. name of the movie stylist. So I'm like, okay, it looks like, you know, she's cutting off their scalp and hair, but I'm like, what purpose? And is this really happening? Or are they trying to tell us that this is just like, some type of mm. mental illness. So I thought it could be go either way, but that was just after this scene. I mean, once we oh, know, yeah, get the a second little bit into the movie, it's like theory. obvious. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, I, I, yeah, th- I think it's just because of how carefully crafted it felt like everything was going on. I was like, okay, it, it, is this almost like a dream delusion type thing, yeah. a vision type thing? But that was uh, settled shortly uh, thereafter. Thank you too, because it's, I hate, let me repeat that. I hate movies that open with a dream sequence or a hallucination or something like that. It's, it's such a deception by the director. I just can't stand it. And it would, it probably would have turned me off to the rest of the movie. So very glad they didn't do that, but I I didn't really get that impression. Like I said, there was nothing really to, to, to at least for me to make it feel like a dream. I know, I know the slow motion hairdressing, you know, maybe might've given somebody that idea, but thankfully, yeah, I, I never thought of that. And I'm glad the filmmakers didn't either. That would have upset the hell out of me. All right. So after the client passes out and, you know, Claire goes and gets all her cleaning materials. Uh, as Mike said, she basically goes ahead and scalps her client. And, um, Obviously, we don't know why she's doing this yet. The second scene in the film will kind of explain that. Um, but I, I did want to point out while we're talking about this scene, this is one of the nicest scalping scenes I've ever seen in a film. I've actually seen real life, um, well, a form of scalping. I, I don't know if anybody here has ever seen uh, brain surgery, like real life brain surgery footage. That's exactly what it looks like. It, they peel back the scalp of the person and then bore a hole into the skull so that they can get into the brain to do whatever the surgery is. And um, whenever we saw scalping scenes previously, and I am including uh, the short, the 2016 short um, of the same name, it just doesn't look right. It looks fake. Uh, But in the feature film, yeah, that scalping looks amazing. Um, just how the scalp looked after she pulled it off the bot, what the head of the victim looked like after she was scalped, like all of it just looked so realistic. Even the struggle that Claire was having, like Claire didn't peel it off. Like it was, you know, um, 
peeling the wrapper off a candy bar. She was struggling to, to peel it off and to, to try to get it off all in one piece. So kudos to the filmmakers for that. So after the murder, she proceeds back to her house where uh, she has a room in her house that I lovingly call the scalp room. And as we find out right away, she has multiple scalps in her room already. There's got to be at least like four to six of them in the room in various spots. So obviously she's been at this for a while. She's a seasoned serial killer, definitely not a beginner. And then what she does is she, she sits in front of her makeup mirror and she actually puts the scalp on her head, on her own head, and starts saying lines that the woman said at the salon. Basically, as I mentioned in the, in the um, earlier section, um, she's basically living vicariously through um, her clients. And it kind of upsets me because, like I said, her life seems amazing as it is, yet she seems to want to... Uh, I don't know, live vicariously through these women that are either married or going to be married. I think there's only one unmarried victim in this movie, which we'll get to a little bit later on. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, so obviously the filmmakers are setting up some kind of aversion to weddings because she even says in a later scene she doesn't do wedding hair. She just doesn't like doing weddings. So obviously she has some kind of past. Most of the pictures that she has of her mother are of her in a wedding dress. Um, so who knows? I mean, I thought that they were going to maybe tell us that, you know, maybe dad killed mom on their wedding night by scalping her. And, you know, it, it made her into the monster that she is today. Nope. We don't really get anything uh, beyond these pictures. And then, like I said, later on in the film, there'll be a little conversation, but we'll get to that in a little bit. So, like I said, she is wearing the scalp and pretending to be those women, um, you know, speaking like them, trying to emulate their voice and then saying actual lines that they said while they were in the chair. So the next day, uh, one of her clients named Olivia, played by Brie Grant, calls her asking if she could do her wedding hair. Now, at first, Claire refuses, letting Olivia know, I don't do wedding hair, but Olivia basically tells her, you know, my wedding's a week away, and the woman that I had set up to be my hairdresser, back, you know, backed out at the last moment. So I'm literally stuck. I don't have a hairdresser. So basically, Claire sleeps on it, and the next day, uh, she texts uh, Olivia back and agrees uh, to do her hair for the wedding. Now, um, after after Claire agrees to do the hair, Olivia invites Claire over to her house. Uh, actually, it's the night that Claire does her hair the first time, uh, you know, a few days before the wedding. Olivia basically invites Claire over for a girl's night at her apartment, and Claire accepts. Uh, they end up, you know... Um, drinking some wine, eating some terrible looking pizza. And they end up having a little bit of a heart to heart where, like I mentioned earlier, they start talking a little bit about their family. Now, uh, Olivia is definitely the focal point of this conversation because she's talking about her family, how she didn't know her father, everything else. And then she finally decides to ask Claire about her family. And Claire, you can see her kind of make a face when she... Uh, right before she says the first line and what she says is I didn't know my father either because um, Olivia didn't know her father. Apparently he died before 
you know, she was born or whatever. I forget the exact story, but it was something along those lines. Um, and she also lost her mother at a young age. Well, I don't know if this is Claire just trying to kind of um, have similarities with Olivia to try to build a friendship. But she, like I said, she says the same thing. I didn't know my father either, which I'm not 100% sure is true. Um, not to say that there's much in the movie to indicate that she's lying. It's just a personal thing. It just seems like it was too easy that her you know, childhood pretty much emulates Olivia's childhood. So... Um, Olivia's fiance, Charlie, ends up coming home from work and Olivia right away uh, leaves, basically excuses herself um, and then goes out to the car and has a little bit of a mental breakdown where she actually starts where she starts repeating some of the lines that she said in the conversation, like I never knew my father. And she's like punching her steering wheel and crying and yelling and then she starts talking about the last line that she said right before she left, where it was, you know, I should probably be heading home now. And she seems upset with herself for some reason. I don't know if she's upset with herself for lying to Olivia, for putting up a front, or or maybe she's just upset that she didn't get to kill her target for the night. I don't know. <laughs> they don't make it plainly obvious in the film. So your interpretation is as good as mine. Okay, so... During this conversation, we find out that uh, Claire's mother was also a hairstylist who constantly changed her hairstyle and hair color. Think about that. She is taking scalps from people that are different hairstyles, different colors, everything, just like her mother, except her mother, hopefully, wasn't actually scalping these women. She was just changing her hairstyle and color constantly. So I guess that kind of inspired her to be a stylist, which, of course, she is now a successful stylist. So there it is. Um, let's see. Um, after, the, after she ends up leaving Olivia's house and has her little minor breakdown in the car, um, she decides to go to the coffee shop that she frequents multiple times throughout the movie. And she gets there just as they're closing, and the woman who's working at the coffee shop by herself is someone that Claire recognizes. Her name is Dawn. It's the woman that basically serves her her coffee every morning. Now, Dawn is here at the coffee shop tonight because she says that one of her younger employees didn't show up for work. So she's forced to stay the night, which is the reason why she's alone in the uh, coffee shop. Um, so, as I said, Dawn does Claire the favor, lets her come into the shop, makes her her coffee, um, doesn't charge her for it because she already closed the register for the night. And then what we see is Claire pull out a small bottle and pour something into her uh, into the coffee that Dawn is currently drinking. Um, I I don't remember if it was a powder or a liquid, but it was basically a little vial, and she poured some of it into the cup, like I said, that Dawn was drinking. So after Claire excuses herself and leaves the coffee shop. Dawn goes back to, you know, uh, her closing procedures for the shop and continues drinking her coffee. This is one part of the movie that I didn't like. Not the scene, but the convenience of when Dawn actually passes out. Because this coffee shop, it's, it's past uh, operation hours. So they're closed. Front door is locked. Back door is locked. Dawn comes out the back door to take out the garbage for the night from the shop and mm -hmm. she literally passes out in the doorway 
preventing the door from closing again. Because if Dawn, if Dawn literally would have passed out 30 seconds earlier, she would have been inside the locked coffee shop and safe from Claire. So, you know, this is one of those convenient plot points that usually kind of upsets me more than anything, but it's a minor thing. I'm not going to make a big deal about it. So, like I said, Dawn passes out in the doorway of the back door. Claire grabs her, brings her back inside the coffee shop, and then goes about her, you know, MO that we've already seen. Now, remember how I was saying that she was very meticulous with that first murder in the film? Yep. It's the complete opposite here. This murder seems, this murder and multiple murders after this seem more like they're passion based, like, you know, anger. Or, you know, she just decided on a whim, fuck it, I'm going to kill this woman. Because I don't think she ever had an intention to kill Dawn. I mean, she's just a woman that serves her coffee. Why would you want to live vicariously through a, a, a barista, basically? And not a young one either, a 38-year-old year old single woman. So, um, but yeah, she ends up killing this woman. Um, she She basically starts to scalp, you know, starts to remove her scalp, you know, starts carving the scissors. That's another thing that bothers me. She uses scissors to scalp these people. How much does it cost to buy an X-Acto knife at a fucking hobby shop? It yeah, or I want sweet. or I want to know where she's buying her scissors from cuz Obviously, I, I mean, yeah, them. they're probably her personal scissors that she's sharpening, so they're extra sharp, but it's like literally if you had a scalpel or an X-Acto knife, I know a scalpel is not exactly easy to get for somebody who's not a surgeon. But an X-Acto knife, I can go to Michael's Art Supplies right now and buy an X-Acto knife for like five bucks. And that would make scalping a human being endlessly easier. But, you know, she is a hairstylist, so she's using the, the tool of her trade. Now, while she's um, carving off Dawn's scalp, she looks up and she looks at a scarf that she actually stole from Olivia's house while she was over there visiting. She, you know, she smells the scarf. She tries it on, and then when uh, Olivia comes back into the room from upstairs, she quickly takes it off and stuffs it in her purse. So she is in possession of one of Olivia's scarves. Like I said, while she's um, scalping Dawn, she looks up at the, at the scarf hanging out of her purse, and she actually gets distracted to the point where the cut on Dawn's forehead is no longer straight and she actually goes down her orbital bone. Like she basically, she cuts halfway across the forehead and then just completely loses control of her hand and cuts downwards past one of her eyes, uh, one of her orbital bones, uh, just past her mouth. And when she realizes that she's like, Oh shit, you know, she, she basically comes out of the daydream, if you will, and realizes that she fucked up Dawn's scalp, which is probably why we don't see her try on Dawn's scalp. Like, we never actually see her successfully take it off because after she does that, after she fucks up the cut and goes down her face by accident, she actually wakes up. Yes, Dawn comes out of her drug-induced, um, you know, stupor. And wakes up with her face all cut up and, you know, she starts crying and she starts asking Claire what the fuck, because, you know, they are acquaintances. They're not necessarily friends, but Dawn is, knows who Claire is because, you know, she makes her coffee every morning. After, you know, Dawn wakes up and she's questioning Claire, what is going on? Why am I bleeding? You know, what the fuck's wrong with my face? 
Claire just freaks out. She basically has the most non-Dexter moment I've ever seen, where she literally freaks out, she starts screaming, and then she just repeatedly stabs Dawn in the chest with the scissors over and over and over again until Dawn stops moving. And then that's the last that we see of this scene and Dawn. We do get a little tiny quick piece of her actually cleaning up the coffee shop, you know, cleaning up the spot where she killed Dawn. But like I said, we never see her scalp Dawn. We never see her try it on later. So this seems like it's a murder gone wrong. You know, she wasn't able to do exactly what she wanted to. But it's almost like because of the interaction that she had with Olivia at Olivia's house, she just really wants to kill someone. She's got the urge to kill and decides, fuck it, I'll take out a barista. Nobody nobody cares about them anyway. <laughs> All right, so um, after killing Dawn, um, Olivia invites Claire to her bachelorette party. Um, basically, they're just going out a uh, night on the town at the club and just, you know, drinking, dancing, nothing special. Um... Oh, wait a minute. I'm sorry. I skipped the scene, folks. After she kills uh, Dawn, she goes back to her house. and But before going to her house, she goes to a hardware store and she starts buying wood, hammer, and nails. What she's doing is, at least what I interpret it as, because Dawn's murder went so bad, it's almost like she's upset that she almost got caught. So she ends up boarding up her scalp room. It, as it turns out, uh, the room that she has all her scalps in is in the basement. And there's an outside entrance to that basement, one of those slanted doors um, that goes down into the basement. She ends up boarding that door up and putting all of her tools, all of her scalps, all the clothes that she's taken from people. She puts it all in the scalp room and then boards it up. Like I said, my interpretation is because Dawn's murder went so poorly I think she maybe wanted to, this might be her attempt to try to go cold turkey and not kill people anymore. I don't know if you guys had any other interpretation of why she was locking up that room or boarding it up, but I mean, that that's one of the only things I could really think about. Um, so yeah, like I said, after she boards up the, the, the scalp room, uh, Olivia calls her up and invites her to her bachelorette party, which is taking place at a bar. Claire goes to the party and just instantly has a bad time because it's very apparent that Claire and Olivia are not old friends. They're not lifelong friends. Literally, she's just a client and a hairdresser. But Olivia is so thankful to Claire for taking her at the last minute to do her hair for her wedding to the point where she actually calls her the savior of my wedding multiple times in the film. And every time she says it, it makes Claire uncomfortable. You can kind of see her, you know, look down and just be like, Oh, I don't know about that. But you know, so, uh, but at the bachelorette party, uh, Claire, you know, obviously isn't much of a party girl. Like there's a scene, there's like one of those artistic slow motion scenes where they're all on the dance floor dancing. Everybody in the party is dancing, but Claire's just kind of standing there, just kind of moving, just kind of swaying, not really dancing, just swaying back and forth while she basically watches everybody else in the bachelorette party dance. 
Yeah, she looks Later, like a typical introvert out of her element in the club, exactly. for sure. Yeah, definitely. Like I like I was shocked that she accepted both the invitation to go to Olivia's house and the invitation to go to the bachelorette party because it definitely seems out of character for her. But much like Dexter, she's making an effort to seem normal, to do things that normal women would do with their friends. So, you know, I'll give her credit for that. She's trying to mm. act normal. It's just not really working out for her, you know, because of her personality. Yeah. So while at the club, uh, she she excuses herself and goes to the bathroom. She goes to the bathroom. She goes into one of the toilet stalls. And as always, at, while she's in the toilet stall, two of Olivia's friends come into the bathroom and instantly just start talking shit about her. Like, who invites their stylist to their bachelorette party? Like, what is going on? She's so creepy. One of them, one of the girls says, yeah, I caught her staring at me on the dance floor. It made me feel so uncomfortable. And then basically they end the conversation with the one girl saying, when I, if I get married, please, please make sure I don't invite the cake lady to my bachelorette party. I mean, who does that? And then that's the end of the conversation. They leave the bathroom. Claire comes out of the toilet stall and looks in the mirror and starts crying. Um, this is a good scene that shows the anal retentiveness of Claire because um, earlier in the night while she was in the club, she was handed a drink and she put the drink on her thigh for like a minute and it left a little bit of a crease on her uh, dress that she basically can't stop looking at. She's like fixated with it for most of the rest of the night. So when she's here in the bathroom, uh, after hearing Olivia's two friends insult her, she starts crying. She wipes tears from her eye, but doesn't realize that she's also wiping off her mascara, which she then wipes her hand on the spot that has the crease on it from the drink. And you see her start violently wiping the spot. Like she's just very upset that the re that the dress is ruined or whatever. Um, so she ends up just, you know, um, not really wanting to be very social after that. She decides to leave, but literally as she's sending the text to Olivia telling her, Hey, you know, I'm not feeling great. I, I think I'm going to go home and, you know, get ready for the wedding, blah, blah, blah. Literally, Olivia and all her friends walk out of the club at that moment, which, you know, basically lets Claire know they were going to leave without her. They had no interest in her. They don't you know, really care about leaving her alone at the club. Obviously, you can see Claire's facial expression kind of change um, from, you know, from uncomfortable to downright angry. And then what she ends up doing is she ends up following a couple of the friends uh, home in their car. Uh, it, it seems like a couple of them carpool to the club. So she ends up following uh, the friends and the first friend that gets dropped off is the girl that made the comment about the cake lady, you know, who invites their stylist to a wedding or to a bachelorette party. Um, she gets out of the car, yeah. goes into her house and Claire is in her car, just sitting there waiting for the, the car that dropped her off to leave. And literally, as soon as the car that drops her off goes out of eye shot, it looks like she's about to get out of the car. But that at that exact moment, another car pulls up in front of the house. Uh, you know, we see a guy come out of the car and go into the same house that the girl just walked into. So obviously, I'm thinking, well, now that there's a man in the house, she's probably not going to go through with this. Nope. I was very wrong. 
she ends up breaking into the house <laughs> anyway. And what ends up happening, which is very lucky for her, she walks into the living room and both of them are laying on the couch. And what's funny is that they both have headphones on. So they're listening to music and yeah. we can actually hear like the muffled music in the background. So they're, they're, they're asleep on the couch with music playing in their headphones. So yeah, she's basically standing there over them, looking down on them. And obviously as the viewer, we're like, oh shit, they're done. You know, she's going to take out the guy first. Obviously you always take out the bigger threat first, and then she's going to go after the girl. But what ends up happening is as she approaches the two, uh, the people sleeping on the couch with a pair of scissors in her hand, she looks over and she sees a picture of the girl who lives there with her mother. And for some reason, that picture sets her off. I don't know. I don't know if she's just not a fan of people who have good relationships with their mothers. I don't know. But basically she sees the picture and she runs out of the living room into the bathroom. At first, I thought she left and went home and she was in the bathroom in her house. No, she's still in that house with those two people sleeping on the couch and she's in the bathroom, you know, making a decent amount of noise too. Now, as I said, the couple have headphones on, so they're not hearing her. She ends up opening the medicine chest and starts looking at some of the medications that, that they take. And at that exact moment, she hears someone get up in the living room. She is in a bathroom with a small window, not big enough for her to climb out of. So she does the only thing that she thinks she can do. She hides in the shower. This shower, though, has at least what I think looks like a see-through shower curtain. But apparently it's not because uh, the girl who lives here walks into the bathroom. She's obviously very drunk. She, her eyes are closed. You know, she's half passed out. She, she goes into the bathroom. She sits on the toilet and, you know, she urinates. And what's funny is that this bathroom is so small that literally the girl's head and Claire's head are literal inches away from each other. Yet this woman is so drunk and, you know, disoriented that she, doesn't realize that there's someone in her shower. So, you know, she ends up getting out of the bathroom and Claire ends up leaving the house without doing anything. Um, at least they don't indicate to us that she actually killed the couple. There's no blood on her when she walks out and she basically is running out of the house. So she ends up leaving without doing much of anything. This is the part of the movie where Claire starts to really get clingy. And she starts calling Olivia and offering her extra services like, hey, I know your wedding's getting closer. Is there anything else I can do? Anything that you need? Blah, blah, blah. Olivia politely uh, says that she's fine. No need to you know, worry about any of that. But uh, when Claire goes home that night, this is where we find out that she's been recording the conversations that she has with people, either her clients in the salon or, you know, like Olivia, when she went to Olivia's house uh, the previous evening, she basically is recording conversations on her cell phone and listening back to them later. I, I don't know if this is her way of trying to perfect the voice and the personality of the person whose scalp she's wearing at the time. It seems like something, you know, maybe that's something an intelligent a serial killer might do because they can do it real nonchalantly. And then, like I said, go home, listen to the recordings. But at this point in the movie, she's listening to the recording 
of the conversation that her and Olivia had at Olivia's house. And she starts crying and actually gets kind of visibly angry and actually throws the phone across her bed like she's frustrated about something. Um, again, the filmmakers don't make it plainly obvious what she's annoyed at. But like I said, she just out of nowhere just gets really annoyed. Um, I think the exact line that Olivia says is, you know, look at us, we turned out perfect. Because they were talking about how, you know, they didn't have their parents at a young age, but they both seem to have gone on to be successful in their chosen careers. Um, Olivia yeah. is, a, is an editor of a fashion magazine, uh, which, you know, we get one quick scene of her at work, you know, doing her editing stuff. And, you know, that's it. Just establishing basically what she does. Um, so, yeah, like I said, Claire is getting clingy. She's... Uh, calling Olivia, offering to have uh, to do hair, makeup, whatever she needs. And then when Olivia says, no, I'm fine with all of that, she basically says, well, how about, you know, we just get together tonight, you know, with your bridesmaids and we can talk about what we want to do with hair and everything else. Again, uh, Olivia politely says, no, we're good. Thank you. And uh, pretty much, you know, uh, goes on her merry way. The next day, Claire, uh, excuse me, yeah, Claire shows up at Olivia's job in the parking lot after Olivia is uh, basically out of work. She she leaves the, uh, her job for the night, and there's Claire waiting for her at her car in the parking lot, which obviously instantly creeps out Olivia, like, whoa, what are you doing here? Why is my, because, I mean, don't forget, during this entire thing, these two girls are not friends. They are clients. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you always got that's that's kind of that's kind of the line um that is drawn between them uh she she's kind she's gracious for her being a hairdresser and the fact that she always seems to be available last minute and i think she tries to show her thanks through like you know uh invites and maybe you know socializing with her more than you normally would but um, due to the obsessive nature, it's like uh, it's just planting the seeds for what comes later. Yeah, exactly. All right. So um, obviously Olivia gets a little upset with Claire uh, because Claire basically um, brings up a conversation that she had with Olivia at the club. Now, mind you, Olivia was very, very drunk. And she ended up having a conversation with Claire where she was talking about, you know, having second thoughts um, talking about Charlie's place in her life. Like, does Charlie actually see her? That's a very popular term right now. Do you actually see your partner? Um, and they basically make the comment that uh, Olivia has been interrupted by Charlie, if you will. Um, that's literally all they say. Yeah, I kind of feel like I was interrupted by Charlie. But like I said, Olivia's very drunk. She doesn't think anything of it. Um, but the fact that Claire is bringing up that conversation and potentially basically asking her, are you sure you want to marry this man? Mind you, this is two days before the wedding. And yeah, Olivia gets instantly upset. Like, I would be upset if my mother asked me that question. How dare you as my hairdresser ask me if I really want to get married or if Charlie's really devoted to me or whatever. So, you know, she ends up getting visibly angry with Claire and leaves in a little bit of a tiff. And Claire is obviously apologetic and says, bye and see you Saturday. 
I'm actually shocked that the, I mean, I understand it's a wedding. It's a once in a lifetime event. But at this point, I'm shocked that Olivia is keeping Claire as a client. It's like this woman's calling you, texting you. Now she's showing up at your job. Like, like those aren't red flags to a normal person. But, you again, know, you know, yeah. I actually I thought that when they had that kind of tiff in you know, or that confrontation, mm-hmm. I thought because from that point on, uh, Bria Grant's char- character, she she kind of exits the movie for a while um, until you know the the finale, I guess. Yeah. So I thought maybe she was like, I am dropping her, but then the eleventh hour comes before the wedding, and maybe she was like out of other options, so she's like, all right, I'll I'll uh, just swallow my pride and call the one person I know that's always going to be available because. Um, at that point, I was like, oh, I was like, is that it for like, Bri-? like, we know she has a wedding coming up, but I was like, maybe Bria Grant's character is exiting the movie at this point. I wasn't 100% <laughs> sure that it was all going to yeah. come around in the end. So I thought yeah. maybe she was dropping her as a client at that point. And then it was just kind of like the desperation at the end that brought her back. Yeah, I, I, I had something. Oh, no, I had something similar. I thought that, you know, like her, like Mike did that, you know, the intrusions in her life the overstepping the boundaries led to her dropping her but i thought that she would just show up anyway unannounced and you know start in as if nothing had happened well, i guess that and then going crazy of a wedding to a women yeah <laughs> they're, well, they're is, willing to work with a psychopath to get their hair done <laughs> what i'm saying is that i figured that she would show up and then act as if nothing had happened and then that would be the snap like that was the way i had it planned yeah, yeah, I think that was probably the obvious path that it was going to. But, you know, for whatever it's worth, necessity, whatever the case may be, Olivia does not sever the relationship. She basically just says, don't act like this on Saturday. So obviously, she's still expected to be at the wedding. Just, you know, um, maybe it's not going to be as happy as an occasion for her as originally expected. So, yeah, I definitely feel like she should have severed her relationship right then and there but you know again i don't know what it's like to be a woman days before her dream wedding you know so i'll cut her a little bit of slack but not a whole lot (laughs) all right so um the next day which is now the day before the wedding claire is trying to text olivia she sends her multiple texts you know i need to talk to you uh, we need to discuss something, blah, blah, just over and over. And she's getting no reply. Um, so she ends up calling. Instead of texting, she ends up calling Olivia's phone. And her fiancé, Charlie, actually answers. And Charlie answers the, her cell phone because they are at the rehearsal wedding. It's literally the evening before the wedding. Uh, they're at the rehearsal dinner, excuse me, the rehearsal dinner, um, you know, doing whatever it is people do at rehearsal uh, dinners. And Charlie basically doesn't seem like he's real excited to both get the call from Claire and, and or get Olivia away from what she's doing so that he can hand the phone over to her. He just, it's almost like Olivia basically told Charlie everything. And Charlie is very aware that Olivia has been acting kind of weird because you can tell he's, he's not going to give the phone to Olivia. He basically tells her, you know, we'll see you Saturday. You know, as long as everything is still cool, we'll see you Saturday at 10 AM. And then the last thing that 
Claire says to Charlie before she hangs up is you interrupted her, Charlie. And she has an angry look on her face, which, you know, almost makes it sound like she's going to take out Charlie, which would be new because she hasn't taken out any men in this movie. So uh, she ends up uh, hanging up the phone with her that same, literally that same hour um, Claire breaks into Olivia's house. Now she knows that everybody's at the rehearsal dinner. So she knows she's safe. She breaks into Olivia's house. She sees all the like, all the place settings for the wedding all piled up in the living room. You know, all the little decorations that they're going to have in the, in the chapel, everything else, it's all laid out on the kitchen table. She's looking at the stuff and, you know, not really reacting. You know, she's very deadpan when she's alone, especially. She ends up going upstairs uh, to Olivia's bedroom. And at first, what she does is she pulls out Olivia's scarf and she starts to fold it up and put it away. Yeah, she's actually putting the scarf back, which is something I definitely didn't expect uh, Claire to do. Um, but while she's putting the scarf back up in Olivia's closet, she finds a nightgown that she kind of fancies. Uh, you know, she likes it. She takes off her own clothes and then tries on the nightgown and the nightgown fits her because, you know, her and Olivia are basically the same size. And at that point, she basically just starts rummaging through Olivia's drawers. And what does she find? If you look through the underwear drawer of three quarters of American women, she finds a vibrator. Yes, a sex toy. I believe it's called the rabbit. The little, you know, it's that little uh, vibrator. It's not one of those, you know, big gigantic ones. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that's called a rabbit. But anyway, uh, she takes it and yup. She basically starts pleasuring herself with it. So she is now laying in Olivia's bed, wearing Olivia's nightgown, and pleasuring herself with Olivia's vibrator. So she's basically living Olivia's life for a few minutes. At this point, my jaw is just wide open, not because of arousal. It's not like it was an arousing scene. Just the fact that she would think, it. fuck it, I'm going to go ahead and masturbate. Who's going to come home early? No one's going to come home early from a rehearsal dinner. Dinner. Well, guess what? <laughs> uh, Olivia's she sister. Was wrong. <laughs> yep. Olivia's sister, who we met earlier in the film at the um, at the hairdresser appointment, uh, she ends up coming home, uh, going to Olivia's house. Now, see, this is another um, kind of lack of forethought that bothered me about Olivia. Why would Olivia not assume that on the day before her wedding that she wouldn't have family staying with her in her house, you know, family from out of town or whatever? So that that's just, you know, it's one of those things that I just don't think Claire thought it completely through. And mind you, I understand that she didn't go to Olivia's house with the intention of masturbating. But, you know, once she finds the vibrator, I thought she was just going to take it home with her. But no, nah, no, nah, she starts using it right then and there. So... So, like I said, uh, Olivia's sister ends up coming home early or coming to Olivia's house early from the from the rehearsal dinner, which obviously freaks out Claire. She instantly goes ahead and um, grabs her own clothes, puts her shoes back on and goes to the bathroom. Luckily, in this bathroom, they do have a window big enough for a, a full grown adult to climb out of which is exactly what she does. She climbs out of the window, literally clearing the window at the same instant that Olivia's sister walks into the bathroom. 
She sees the wide open window. She walks up to it and she looks outside, but she doesn't see anything. But in the distance, you can hear Claire's footsteps as she's running away from the house, which I thought was a really cool uh, sound design choice. I thought that was really awesome because they didn't have to put that in there. But in my surround sound system here at home, it worked really nice. I liked it. So, you know, kudos there. Now, after almost getting caught at Olivia's house, what does she do? Claire goes home and just starts freaking out, starts calling herself stupid. You know, what are you thinking about? Blah, blah, blah. She ends up going home and pulling the boards off the scalp room. Uh, it looks like she's going to go back to her normal activities. But what, what ends up happening is she opens up the scalp room. She goes back. She goes in there and she does what we've seen her do a couple of times already. She's, she puts the scalp on her head and she starts talking about, uh, you know, she starts repeating lines that those clients said as they were getting their hair cut. This is the scene where the movie is connected to the short. Do you remember where I said the short is a little bit of a sequel? Um, Don and Mike, do you remember in this scene, she pulls a blonde scalp with long uh -huh. blonde hair on it? Yep. And yeah. then she says the line, uh, this glass ceiling is a bitch. Yep. Yeah. So, uh -huh. Though we never heard anybody say that in the movie, that woman is from the short. She, okay. she literally she sits in the chair and she says that exact line man yeah. that glass ceiling is a bitch so literally it's it's almost like an easter egg for people who saw the short so i kind of like that um, yeah because, at, at the time i was like oh is this just like a collection from her past that yeah no around or something. I, I caught that i caught that line immediately yeah that's exactly what her client the client in the short said yeah i caught that immediately yeah. I didn't catch okay, that right yeah. away, even even though I saw the short, you know, when it was fairly new. I didn't actually catch it right away until I went back and watched the short again today. Um, and yeah, there it is. The line, the hair, the exact hairs, the long blonde hair. It just, yeah, the, it was weird. I didn't catch it on the hair, but I caught it on the line. Like, I remember yeah. that. I, I, I knew the girl was blonde in the uh -huh. short, but I didn't I didn't put the hair together. I put the line together. That one that, that was the weird thing. But yeah, yeah I, I knew it was her, yeah. So, yeah, there you go. Easter egg for people who watch shorts. Nice job. All right, so she ends up going downstairs, and she starts doing the same shit that she's done throughout the movie. She puts the scalps on, tries to pretend to be these women. She, she says the lines into the mirror. But whereas it made her... Whereas this act made her happy earlier in the film, like she would smile and giggle... In this scene, it didn't look like it was doing anything for her. She was looking in the mirror, wearing the scalp, speaking the lines, but it wasn't really making her happy. All she could hear, and we could hear it in the, uh, in the audio, was Olivia's voice, uh, just talking various conversations that they've had throughout the movie. So all these, all these attempts at her trying to, you know, once again become these older clients that she killed basically doesn't bring her any kind of happiness or joy anymore. And she ends up getting frustrated and just trashing the room. She trashes the scalp room, knocks over all the furniture, all the fixtures. And finally, um, when she's done trashing the room, she looks down and she notices one more of those um, hairstylists or makeup heads, you know, that, that people in beauty school will sometimes use. Um, she's been using these to keep the scalps of her victims, 
you know, to keep them nice and I don't know if fresh is the right word because it's still mm-hmm. rotting fre- flesh, but, you know, to keep them at least looking good. So after she trashes the room, she looks down on the floor and she sees an empty head with no scalp on it. And instantly you can see the gears start turning behind her eyes. It's almost like that's the moment where she made the realization that I need one more scalp. So after that scene, um, you know, after getting upset and trashing the room, she ends up going out with the desire to kill. But this is one of the sloppiest kills in the whole movie. She literally doesn't stalk or pick a victim. She literally knocks on a random door. She's just in this neighborhood of, you know, um, apartment buildings, and she just picks a random door, knocks on it, and luckily a single woman answers the door. Um, Very metalhead-looking woman. Long black hair, piercings, tattoos. She had a rock shirt on. I forget which one it was, but she had something on there. Um, Basically, as soon as she opens the door... Claire says, I need help. Can I use your phone? Um, you know, uh, the, the dweller of the apartment being polite says, yes, wait here. I'll go get my phone. Of course, as soon as the woman turns around to go get her phone, Claire follows her in and stabs her in the neck with the scissors. Um, not killing her right away either. Like the, the woman yeah, laid there on the long floor. Long and drawn out. <laughs> yeah, like gargling and gasping and just everything else. And then finally... Claire, um, after stabbing her in the throat, she gets up, she closes the front door, locks it uh, to make sure that she has her privacy. And she goes back to the living room where she stabbed the woman and she's still alive on the floor, writhing. She's in a pool of her own blood. Um, at that, at this point, Claire pulls the scissors out of the woman's neck and we get a great arterial spray. Um, Japanese anime fans would love this scene. Just an awesome spray of blood as soon as she pulls out, uh, the scissors from her neck. And then that's, that's what really finishes her off because exactly if, if the scissors remained in there, you know, if you get to the hospital in a reasonable amount of time, you might even survive. But once the, once the scissors come out, it's like you're bleeding out. Exactly. Yeah, we saw it in Better Watch Out. And the girl got stabbed in the neck, and but she survived because uh, what did she do? Oh, she put duct tape over her neck, right? If I remember correctly. Anyway. Yeah, she duct taped yeah. the wound. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, neck neck stabbing isn't instantly uh, fatal the way it is in some movies, which is uh, one of my you know many many pet peeves when someone's stabbed in the belly and they instantly fall over and die. No, that just doesn't happen. So okay. Um, but yeah, this scene was, you know, it was very drawn out, very uncomfortable. You know, she slowly scalps this woman again, as she's been doing throughout the movie. But this time, instead of going home and going to her scalp room and pretending to be the woman there, she actually stays at the crime scene. So she's still there in the apartment wearing the woman's scalp, watching cartoons and eating pizza. Now, why she decided to do that is beyond me. I don't know. She, I guess she assumed this metalhead chick like cartoons, and she probably yeah she probably found the pizza in the fridge or whatever. But yeah, I mean, since the woman only exchanged one line with her and it wasn't anything too memorable, just let me get my phone. She's sitting there watching cartoons, giggling like a child, literally right in front of the dead body that's still on the floor, you know, bleeding out. Just cool, very this- disturbing scene. This, this, this is, is another scene where the lighting 
is is huge. Like the lighting, you get a lot of blues and reds, you know, almost Suspiria like. I also mentioned Knife Plus Heart because it had a lot of the same kind of colored lighting scheme throughout. So, you know, you definitely get some stylized lighting in the kill scenes here. To me, this was the kill that kind of, to me, showed her signs of cracking or whatever, you know, mental delusion she has um, is she's starting to be able to not control it as well. Not that, you know, any of the kills she did were (laughs) reasonable, obviously, but (laughs) there usually was like a pattern to it. Like she she kind of coveted the person's story in life or the person and then it kind of slowly took over where she like wanted to almost be them in a way this one was much more immediate where it's almost like she like a drug fiend that needed their fix um because of the way she was feeling and she had nothing else to turn to so she just the first kind of person that fit a profile for her she just went and murdered and did it and to me this was like the turning point where like okay things are about to take a turn because she's not being careful or meticulous. It's just mm-hmm. very sloppy, very off, um, off the cusp. So I'm yeah. like, things are like I, going south. Like, yeah, exactly. Like I said earlier, they establish her to be a certain way with that first murder, but even with the second murder of the movie, which is the barista, she's already like going away from her MO. She still cleans the scene because obviously she killed her in a coffee shop. So she still cleans up, but she definitely, that was definitely a murder of passion. Like, I don't think she had any plans of killing that woman. Because like I said, why do you want to live vicariously through a barista who's old and not all that attractive? So, you know, nothing against the woman at all, but you know what I mean. You're, you're, you're looking at this attractive, young, beautiful redhead who wants to be these other women who, in my opinion, have way worse lives than she does. But again, that probably just plays into her psychosis, you know, her psychopathy, if you will. So, yeah. Okay, so after she kills the random woman and, um, you know, eats the pizza, watches cartoons, whatever, it's the next morning. She ends up going to the same coffee shop that she always does, and she orders her normal and then when she goes to put a tip in the in what is usually the tip jar, the tip jar is now labeled for Dawn's funeral. And this is when she Claire gets even more odd because she actually looks at the barista and says, wait, Dawn, is she? And the barista interrupts her and says, yeah, it's been a few days now. Did, did you not know? So literally... I don't know if she forgot that she killed Dawn. At this point, I started to think that maybe we were getting a split personality scenario um, where she doesn't remember the people that she kills, but that doesn't make sense because she goes to the basement to wear their scalps. I thought it was more just trying to play off, like, throw suspicion off. But she looked legitimately concerned. Like, wait, she... Like, like it didn't look like an act. Like, she even I took it as... I I took it as, you know, like, no... Nobody's going to suspect me. I'm just shocked. Like, I haven't been here a few days. I didn't hear about it. Like, oh, wow, she actually did die? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just, I didn't get that. Just the way that she act- She's either the greatest actress in the world, or she legit forgot that she killed Dawn. Because, I mean, that, that was a genuine look of surprise on her face. It didn't look like a killer who was trying to, you know, establish an alibi or establish that she wasn't aware this happened. She literally looked like she didn't realize Dawn was dead. And then don't forget, 
uh, with Dawn's murder, this is the only murder where we actually see what she does with the body. And all she does is she puts it in a garbage bag and throws it in the garbage. So at this point, I'm thinking, how the hell has she been doing this for so long? You know, taking these scalps, dumping the bodies, Lord knows where, and somehow not it not getting traced back to her. Like, I, I was thinking, like, the, this town that she lives in must have the worst police department ever or whatever. I don't know. It just seemed really odd that she was able to kill, at this point, at least seven or eight people based on the scalps that she had in her basement and what we've seen in the film. She's killed at least seven or eight people by this point. Um, so she's obviously seasoned. I don't know. It just it just felt really weird that she acted like that. I, I'm not saying Don is wrong. It could conceivably be that it was an act. But if it was, it was the greatest act I've ever seen. I've never seen a movie killer act that surprised at a murder. Anyway. Okay, so... As Claire is exiting the coffee shop, she sees a flyer and what's on the flyer, but various pictures of her from the night that she killed the random woman. Um, it's literally couldn't be more than a day since that happened. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's the next morning, yet somehow the coffee shop already has flyers in the window. Now, the pictures aren't good. They're grainy and they're from a distance. They're not like up close. So no one, I don't think anybody would look at the picture and say, even, even if Claire was standing right next to the picture, because I also forgot to mention how Claire was dressed that night. She was still wearing Olivia's nightgown that she had taken, and she was wearing a fur coat for some reason. I have no idea what the fashion choice here was, but yeah, all she's wearing is literally a nightgown and a fur coat. So she definitely didn't look at all like herself. And as you look at the pictures, I mean, the pictures look like it's a prostitute, you know, with the fur coat and the, the tight nightgown, whatever. Um, so like I said, I don't think anybody would have ever picked her out, even if she was standing right next to it. But she does something that I don't agree with. As she's walking out of the coffee shop, she rips the flyer off the wall off the glass uh, entrance as she's walking out and just basically runs out of the shop. And it makes a fairly loud noise because it was taped up there pretty good, yet no one seems to react. I just thought this was a stupid move because why would anybody do that? Why would anybody take a wanted flyer off of there unless either A, they were the person in the picture, or B, they're protecting the person in the picture? So I don't know. This is one of those bad decisions that she made, but there's no repercussions from it, ultimately. So it's a moot point, but I still thought it was an odd choice. All right, so um, it is now the day of the wedding, and Claire arrives to the chapel, and the first person that she is greeted by is Charlie. She basically goes up to Charlie and says, I want to ask you a question, uh, an honest question, and she basically asks him, are you going to make, are you going to try to make her happy? Are you going to try to make Olivia happy? He's obviously kind of, you know, shocked by the question. Like who is, who would, who is this person asking me if I genuinely love and I'm going to make happy the woman that I'm marrying? Um, but he just kind of blows it off and says, yeah, of course, of course I'm going to try to make her happy every day. And you can see the expression, like she almost cracks a smile at that point, which I, took the wrong way. I actually thought that that meant that she was starting to have sympathy for Olivia and that she was going to leave her alone. Well, I was very wrong <laughs> because 
Um, right before uh, the wedding is set to begin, basically the organ player starts playing. So all the bridesmaids, um, the groomsmen, they all have to get into position. This leaves Olivia and Claire alone in the back room of the chapel. And at this point, uh, you know, they start again, they start chatting and um, Claire starts crying for some reason. And Claire basically says to her, I have to I have to admit something to you. I was lying before. I don't run. Now, what I'm pretty sure I, on first watch, what I thought she was talking about was the fact that earlier in the film, Olivia had invited her to be her jogging buddy because Olivia they mm -hmm. established that Olivia was a very active jogger. She jogs every morning and she says that she never had a jogging partner and that after she got married, she would like Claire to be her jogging partner. And Claire agreed. She's like, yes, I love to run, basically, lying out of her, you know, through her teeth as usual. But like I said, in this scene at the chapel, she's crying and basically saying, I don't run. I don't run. And I realized on my second viewing that that statement has a double meaning. The first meaning is the obvious one that she's basically admitting, I don't actually jog. I was lying to you just to be your friend. But then I think the other the other meaning is that she doesn't run from uh, the things that she wants to do. Like I said, it seems at multiple times throughout the film, it seems like she's starting to sympathize with Olivia to the point where maybe she's not going to do anything to her physically. She's not going to attack her, that she's actually going to let her get married and live her life. But as I mentioned, I was totally wrong there. Um, after, and at this point, uh, it's already been about 10 minutes that I already know where the movie's going. Pretty much as soon as Claire arrives at the wedding, boom, the, the ending of the movie popped into my head. And I'm like, oh, is that what they're going for? Um, so, like I said, the last, like, ten minutes, five to ten minutes of the movie, it's just, okay, get on with it. I know what's going to happen. Let's do it. And what ends up happening, you ask? Well, um, after... The only Claire... thing that logically made sense at this point. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I, well, there was one other thing that I thought might happen, but it would have been a, it would have been even more out of left field. But, you know, I'll, we'll talk about that when we're done here. Um, basically... Uh, the, the wedding march starts to play, you know, the famous wedding song, and we see um, the bride start walking down the aisle. And of course, as expected, she is wearing a veil that covers her face. She, you know, she goes up to the altar, she stands in front of Charlie as expected, and just before um, the priest starts to speak, Charlie pulls her veil, uh, you know, exposing her face, and instantly, Charlie reacts, like, what is going on? Uh, they don't show the viewer what's going on right away. They start showing, like, people in the church, like, out in the pews who are there for the wedding. They start reacting violently, like, what's going on? And then suddenly the camera pans over and shows us Claire in Olivia's <laughs> wedding dress and wearing her scalp holding her flowers with a big ear-to-ear -ear grin on her face. Yes, this woman is so deluded, she actually thought that Charlie would go ahead and marry her, you know, thinking that it was uh, Olivia. But no, nope, it is very definitely Claire. At Once people realize what's going on, once they kind of make, 
I think the mother is the first one to make the realization that she's wearing uh, her daughter's hair because she got her hair done in a very, you know, obvious hairstyle, very, uh, what do you call it? You can pick it out in a crowd. Um, so the mother runs back to the back room of the chapel. We don't see her go back there. She just disappears out of frame. And then we start hearing yelling and screaming. At this point, Charlie wants to attack uh, Claire, but one of the groomsmen is holding him back. Um, suddenly you start hearing someone go, you know, she's dead, she's dead. And everybody clears out of the church. And the final shot of the movie is basically Claire standing at the altar in a completely empty chapel, wearing Olivia's scalp and just kind of half smiling and half, I don't know, almost like a, a mildly satisfied look on her face, like her plan was going to work. But then, like I said, as people start running out of the church screaming, she starts to realize, okay, this isn't going to happen. And you can kind of see the expression on her face go from a smile to kind of a cringe and then fade to black. And that is the stylist 2021 in America. Um, where I thought the movie could have also gone, and the more I think about it, the more I hate this ending. But I was actually thinking that it was actually that it was going to be Olivia walking down the aisle in her wedding dress, but that when her when her fiance pulled her veil off, she wasn't going to have a scalp, that she was just going to be standing there bleeding and just fall <laughs> over. Now, obviously, the more I think about that, the stupider it is, because how the hell is she going to walk down the aisle missing a scalp? So, you know, yeah. that was one of the only other avenues that I thought it could have gone. I, I thought maybe that she would just never, like, no bride at all would come down the aisle, possibly, because after after she says, like, I don't run, and I only I only have seen it once, so I also agree. I, I didn't pick up the double, possible double meaning that you brought up, because I, I definitely also figured she was kind of coming clean about, like, you know, I was kind of going along with everything you said, basically, to try to be friends and fit in and actually make a meaningful relationship in my life um i didn't even think to think of the other meaning um but yeah i i was like okay maybe obviously at that point i'm like oh she's gonna kill her but i thought maybe just no one shows up down the aisle and then you know the groom and bridal and groom's party start getting frantic and the movie cuts right there with the viewer kind of knowing what's happened but everyone's at the wedding is kind of like left in a state of like what the fuck is going on sure the the movie that it kind of reminded me of a little bit in a way that i was going to bring up earlier is may just because of the obsessive nature of the mm-hmm. main character now obviously they take it out in very different ways there's different they're sure. doing completely different through their kind of mental but you know it's it's two kind of loner types that are obviously yearning for something that they aren't getting cause like this crazy mental illness delusion and uh one of them makes mm-hmm. <laughs> or a doll out of human parts basically and the other <laughs> one wears their fucking scalps to imagine themselves living their life so exactly man. i, I... I've heard I've heard a lot of people compare this to the very obvious movie that I think most people are thinking of, and that is, of course, um, 
what, 1980 or 81's Maniac. Um, you know, yeah. Joe Spinell yeah. scalping women, keeping their scalps on mannequins in his house. Now, obviously, he's doing it for a completely different reason. He wasn't trying to live through these women so much as I think he was just a sexually frustrated loser who just hated women naturally. Um, obviously, he didn't have a good relationship with his mother either. So, honestly... After hearing those comparisons, the only similarity this movie has to Maniac is just the scalping. Because, like I said, she doesn't stalk random people generally. Um, you know, as opposed to Joe Spinell and Maniac, who just goes out and just <laughs> sees an attractive woman, uh, sees an attractive woman, realizes she'll never sleep with him, and then he kills her and takes her scalp. So um, the motivation is definitely different. And even the characters are different because even Joe Spinell was much more animated, much more angry. Um, Claire, for the most part, is very reserved, very subdued. She doesn't yell very often. I think there's only two scenes in the movie where she actually yells, and we talked about both of them. Um, so it's definitely out of her character to act, um, to necessarily act violently or, you know, very, very loud. So, um I don't know. I forgot what my original point was, but yeah, it's it's one of those things where I really wish they would have kept her M.O. consistent. Either make her that meticulous killer who's anal retentive through the whole movie, or make her the more emotion-based killer who just kills on a whim. It just felt like they were back and forth on that and didn't really know how they wanted to handle you know, her motivations. But as I said, we get so little backstory that you know, we really honestly don't have any idea if any of her backstory that she told Olivia is even real. I, I kind of believe what she said about her mother, because, again, she seemed like, you know, she was being honest and she had conviction while she was talking about it. Whereas she was so short and abrupt with her with the information about her father that I didn't really believe it. I started to actually think that maybe her father um, maybe had done stuff to her, you know, uh, you know, the, the terrible, you know, child predator, sexual predators, but, and that potentially mom found out and she was going to go to the cops and, you know, maybe again, dad somehow killed her and, you know, fucked up her mind, blah, blah, blah. But like I said, we don't really get any of that information. Um, as the viewer, you just have to be happy with, um, she's crazy. That's just that that's the best explanation you're going to get. She's crazy. She obviously doesn't value herself because she wants to live through these other women. So she obviously sees it. She doesn't see any value in her own existence. You know, she seems to be only happy and smiling when she's wearing someone else's scalp. So, you know, there's obviously a very sordid past involved with this. And I just wish we could have gotten to see just a little bit more of it. And um, Don, you said that you had a different problem with the ending. What was that? You said all of it. <laughs> no, um, you realize in the amount of time it takes for her to get out of her dress, put on the new dress, take the scalp and put it on in the, the time between the women leaving and her walking down the aisle. How did that happen? Oh, no, no, that's what I mean. Uh, no, that, that's a very valid point. I think I was so fixated on the fact that I knew the ending was coming that I didn't really think about that until after my second viewing. On top of the fact that how she didn't drug 
um, Olivia because right. usually she drugs her victims. But Olivia is about to get married. She's not drinking shit right before walking down the aisle. So she obviously had to have like knocked her out somehow physically, you know, with a blunt object or something. Somehow she was able to do that quietly enough that no one literally in the next room. And I do understand that there's loud organ music playing, you know, the, the, the wedding march, but I mean, no scream, no nothing. And just like you said, the amount of time doesn't make sense that she would be able to change her dress scalp her friend, put her scalp on, then put the veil over the scalp. It just, you are correct. The more I think about that, the more holes there are in it. But, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah I, 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 it, uh, wasn't, uh, it wasn't obvious for me, but my big thing was just the amount of time it would have taken to pull it off. Yeah. Yeah, that's my, that was my big issue with it. I mean, it, to me, it wasn't telegraphed because, okay, yeah, that's the only obvious one, so I didn't have an issue with it being telegraphed but it for me it was more all of the the planning it would have taken to pull it off if that would have been the case exactly because i mean this movie is definitely not psycho Goreman or willie's wonderland where you can just shut your brain off and enjoy it at face value this movie wants you to peel back the layers and you know um talk about the social commentary you know talk about her her past everything else that's that's involved with what she's doing right now it's just man uh because the movie is such a well-made elevated horror film little plot holes like that become big plot holes like if that was a plot hole to like i don't know a zombie movie it wouldn't be as big a deal i wouldn't you know i wouldn't knock it as much but because this movie is so expertly put together that's definitely something that I don't think uh, the filmmaker thought about, you know, just the because it's literally a minute, right? From the time that the last bridesmaid leaves the room to the time she marches down the aisle, it's like a minute or two, literally. Yeah, barely, so, yeah. even if that, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, you're right on that one, absolutely. I just haven't thought about it as much because of how upset I was knowing that the ending was coming. Like the whole time she's walking down the aisle, it's like, okay... I know it's Claire wearing Olivia's scalp. Can we get to it and just get her veil off? I mean, literally, I almost started to think about fast forwarding because I've been I've been to weddings that take way too long, and I thought this was going to be another one. But luckily, oh, I was going to say I thought my, I thought you were going to make a joke about your own wedding. Oh no no my 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 wedding was Vegas. It was like ten minutes long. It was perfect. <laughs> yeah, I I kind of. I understand what you guys are saying. I kind of just went along with it only for the fact that, you know, being, I wouldn't say my wedding was huge, you know, compared to some people's, it wasn't big, but when it comes to like weddings and stuff, I think there's always the building like expectation that things are always going to take longer than normal. People are usually waiting around when they think it should have started. And for all we know, there could have been like, you know, 15 20 minute like lapse of time between the scene with her her confessing oh i'm not a runner and when it snaps to like the groom kind of like waiting for the bride the way it's filmed obviously literally if you take it literally it's like immediately after but it could have been time because like you remember like for weddings like a lot of times the groom and bridesmaids walk down together so that we you could have, I guess, made the assumption that, like, that was still going on 
when the bridesmaids left, they might have left the room to like do the one by one walking down at a time, like just the way the ceremony kind of works. So I understand what you guys are saying, but to me, weddings can always there's like a good at least 50 percent chance that things are long and drawn out and there is like the time plus she's done this a lot of times before so i assume like by now she somewhat knows what the hell she's doing oh yeah and and that was actually my next question um based on her skill level the fact that she is a seasoned serial killer conservatively how long do we think that takes how long do we think it would take for her to you know scalp claire or it's scalp olivia Take off her dress, then take off her own clothes, put the wedding dress on, put her scalp on. By the way, uh, she had to have cleaned the scalp a little bit because mm-hmm. you did notice that she had barely any blood on her. I, I no think, blood on I, the yeah. dress. I think that's almost more of a um, I don't I don't want to say error, but maybe misstep because obviously mm-hmm. in this case she, she took the time to clean the scalp in the first place because there's not the amount of blood that there would have yeah. been, but it's like, but if she did all that cleaning, you think she would have examined it enough to get rid of like all of it. Cause if you're, if you're cleaning it, why would you just leave like a little bit period? Like, it's not like underneath the scalp, there's going to be all this hidden blood, you know? No, no. Most of the blood's definitely going to come from um, the, the head, not the scalp. That's been yeah. Peeled. I understand and that, but I, I would, I would say the, as far as the, I'd walk down the aisle. I would say that was probably just drawn out because they're really trying to, even though I would think most viewers are know what's going on. I, I just think it was for the effect of, you know, this is a wedding joyous occasion. Everyone's like, Oh, pretty bride. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the anticipation building of like lifting the veil only for the, I, I love though, how, I love how it's revealed to like the groom first and no one else realizes it because everyone kind of looks mm-hmm. at the room like, what the hell's wrong with Like, why are you reacting exactly. like that? And then as she starts <laughs> to turn, that's when everyone else starts seeing it. And then yeah. people slowly start to understand what's going on. And they go from like, first they just have like questionable looks on their face. Like, huh? And then they kind of yeah, realize like, like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, Cause it's I think like, you, sh- I think you shout out, like, I think you hear someone shout like, where's my daughter or something like that. Yeah. Something. Yeah. The mother says that. Yeah. But I, I do like how it goes from a quiet murmur to basically once people start realizing what's actually happening, it turns into screams and they, they all start running out of the chapel. I did like that. That seemed realistic because, you know, if they would have taken off the veil and literally everyone in the church reacts instantly, that that's a little bit of a stretch. But yeah. Just, yeah, just like you said, the fact that Charlie reacted first and then it literally went from the front of the church to the back, like the people in the front noticed first and it started just going farther, farther until you finally notice the people in the back of the church stand up and start questioning what's going on. So, yeah, I mean, despite the ending being telegraphed, I still do like this scene. It's very well put together. Um, even the setting is nice, the, the the chapel that they're in. I don't think it's an actual church that they're in. It looks like some kind of banquet hall that with like, I don't know, like a castle motif to it. Um, but yeah, just the reaction, um, the mother running out and going back to the back room. Just, yeah, this entire scene was really, really well put together. I mean, most of the scenes in this movie are really well put together. Uh, you know, like I said, I don't I don't have any misgivings in saying that I love this film. Even though I did have a couple of major problems with it, which I discussed at length, 
I still do love this film. And like I said, it's easily the second or third best film I've seen this year. Well, favorite that I've seen this year. So yeah, I fully expect to see this in my top 10 at the end of the year. This is just such a great movie. Like I said, every aspect of the filmmaking is near flawless. Um, you know, just a few minor storytelling things, but otherwise great film. Agreed. A hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap things up for the stylist, but, uh, before we get out of here, let's find out if we have anything new to let people know about. So Venom, what do you got, if anything? Um, let's see. Unfortunately, um, our, uh, our latest episode of underwater Kaiju from outer space, once again, had to be delayed because um, one of the co-hosts got called into work unexpectedly. So that'll still be happening in the, you know, hopefully the next week or two. Once again, talking about Gamera versus uh, Barugan and continuing our Ultraman retrospective on uh, In the Mic of Madness. The latest episode is uh, still Willy's Wonderland and Maximum Overdrive. We will, we will be getting back together next week sometime to record the next episode and we have no idea what we're doing so hopefully we'll figure it out before the actual day of the recording so i know what to watch but um and also the bigger announcement for that podcast is that we are now also part of the dark discussions podcast network uh our our latest episode is our first episode on dark discussions so you know, you can now find us at the same place where you'd find any of Mike or I's other shows that we do. Donnie as well. So so that's kind of cool. Uh, let's see. On It's Not Horror OK, uh, we did uh, the comedy classic Airplane on the last episode. And on the next episode, uh, which is my pick, I decided it's been a very long time since I've had a chance to make fun of Steven Seagal. So we will be looking at arguably his most popular movie, and that is Marked for Death. So that'll be the next commentary. Popular. I thought that would have been under, above the law or under siege. Um, I, I looked it up. Marked for Death is the most profitable movie he did. It had the highest grossing weekend of any movie he's been wow. in. Um, at really? least movies that he's been the star of, mind you. Well, like, like I said, I mean, I figured it would have been above the law or under siege. I figured but, on the siege uh, because of everyone else in it. Yeah. Under siege, yes. Um, yeah, you're right. Under siege, you would think probably would be with that great cast, but for whatever it's worth, yeah, March for Death. And like I said, you know, I I'm talking about movies that Seagal is specifically the star. So even though Executive Decision did technically make more, he's not really the star of that movie because he dies in what the first twenty, thirty minutes. So yeah, spoiler. <laughs> um. So, yeah, so like I said, that's on the next It's Not Horror Okay, Marked for Death. On uh, the next episode of Theme Warriors, we will be looking at <clears throat> movies where actors play more than one role in the film. So, obviously, you know, we'll probably, I'm sure we'll touch on some Eddie Murphy stuff. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll uh, talk about other great actors. Um, I, I know Tom Hardy is one that we're going to be looking at. So um, that should be a fun episode. That'll be recorded at the end of the month. Uh, we actually still have a couple of weeks before that gets recorded. So I would say look for that episode on the Dark Discussions podcast network, probably the first week of April. That episode will be ready. So check that out. 
And uh, on the main show, No More Room in Hell, you know, our latest episode is still our Finland. Is it? No, no, it's our alligator, our crocodile episode. That's right. We did release an episode in the interim. Um, it is our crocodile episode where we look at um, two popular crocodile films, um, 1976's Eaten Alive and 1989's Killer Crocodile um, out of Italy. So that was a... Despite my opinion of the two films, it was still a very fun episode, and I still suggest you guys check it out. It was still a fun discussion. Um, and then on the next episode of the main show, we're going to be traveling to Czechoslovakia slash the Czech Republic. I say that because one of the films that uh, we're going to be talking about uh, was came out when the country was still called Czechoslovakia. Um, and then the newer film is, of course, since they made the change to the Czech Republic. So we're going to be taking a trip to the Czech Republic on the next episode of No More Room in Hell. We'll be looking at 1970s Valerie and Her Week of Wonders and 2016's The Noonday Witch. And I think that's all I have, Mike. No, no guest spots to speak of and no other new episodes. So, yep, that's it for me. All right, uh, Don, do you have anything? Um, well, like Venom said, um, unexpectedly our underwater kaiju show got interrupted, so we're going to have to push that one back, despite all of our best efforts to try to get together. Um, the only new thing I have is a new episode of uh, Graveyard Shit podcast, which has finally come out. Uh, we finally released our retrospective on the Blind Dead franchise, so um, all four films of that, we, we uh, took a look at that. Uh, for those of you wondering, yes, it's actually a good show because Will's not on it. Um, he had to leave before we were able to record. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he's not on there for you, those of you wondering. So uh, we actually have some competent people on there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But, All uh, yeah, right. Than, uh, yeah, oh, oh, sorry. That, I thought you yeah. were done. Um, no, other than that, uh, just trying to get uh, some times worked out for some guest spots. Um, I mentioned a while, uh, mentioned last time that I would have some, and uh, we're just finalizing our times now. So um, hopefully once that settles out, maybe next week I can announce them. But uh, until then, just trying to figure out uh, times for some guest spots of mine. So. Getting busy. But yeah, now I'm done. <laughs> All right. Um, as far as myself, nothing really this time outside of what Venom mentioned that we do together on other shows. So look for those in the coming weeks. Um, but yeah, that's it for me. Uh, unless anything's changed, we're still on the docket next week or next episode for Slacks. Are we still? I believe so. Yeah, I watched that new movie that dropped on Shutter last Friday. I did not like it very much. Which one? Uh, Stay out of the attic. Uh, yes, Stay out of the fucking attic. What a great title for a movie. <laughs> is that the actual that was, title? Is that yeah, the actual, actual title is Stay Out of the Fucking Attic, but the I movie read... poster is edited. No, to, I was just gonna say nobody. I, I got screener access for that one. Nobody calls it that. I've never yeah, seen. That's actually the title of the movie when you watch it. Like the title card oh, says, okay. "Don't go into or stay out of the fucking attic." Yeah. Oh, because all of the promo stuff that I got for it, because I had the earlier screener for it, I just never got to it. But 
Yeah. Oh no, I believe All you. Like I said, the movie poster doesn't have the swear on it. Like yeah, it's not—it's not even like edited. It's—it's it's completely taken off. So the movie poster does say "Stay out of the attic." So you know, either way. Mm. <laughs> I always like uh, movie titles with expletives in them because. It's always a question of how the hell do you market this? How do you advertise it? Not like you can put a trailer, you know, on television for, you know, don't go or stay out of the fucking attic. What was the other one we did? I'm only fucking with you. Remember that one? Mm -hmm. That's a hard one to market as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We will catch you back in about a week's time per usual. And it's time to say goodbye to the listeners. Later. Have a good night and choose your hairdressers carefully. When the